0: Um, I'm going to start this off by asking you a weird question, okay? Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me just preface it. If you know God, then you know God to be something which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is to say three distinct personhoods with three distinct roles, three distinct purposes even, that have become in love with one another utterly, completely, totally one. That's who we know God to be. If you know God, you've come to know him as the triune God, because that's who God is. And if you don't know the triune God, then you don't actually know God. (laughs) Because God is triune. He's three in one, right? So now let me ask you the weird question. What would happen if tomorrow one of the Trinity simply wasn't there? You know, like the father wasn't there. You know, the father who's high and lifted up, who's seated on that heavenly throne, who is, he's seated on the throne because what he's trying to communicate is, I'm in control. I made everything and I sit here all the time in control. I don't have to scurry about. I don't have to wonder. I don't fret. I'm in control. That's God, the father, who's over all. But then there's God the Son. God is not just on his throne and distant from us. He very much knows what's going on in us. in that it is his will as the Godhead to send forth Christ. Christ proceeds forth into, through creation was all made through him, And even at this point in time he's come and he's lived amongst us in order to show us that he knows what we're going through and to die for us, to redeem us, to do all of these things. So it is God. this is the part of the Godhead that is projecting himself into our lives and into creation and into all things. That's the nature of God, to be not just high and lifted up, in control, sovereign, but to be in everything. See what I mean? Intimately so. But then there's the Holy Spirit. In many ways of the Godhead, by the way, uh, Josh and Joy are back from their honeymoon. I love you guys so much. That was phenomenal. This is, this is great. Congratulations, you guys. I wanted to say it earlier, and I forgot, but I get to now. All right, so the Holy Spirit is, this, is almost the most unusual part of the Godhead in this way in that, think about it, What's, what part of the Godhead is most associated with power, The Holy Spirit, right? He's the one that creation is hovering over the formlessness and the void and he's giving it shape and purpose and meaning. So the Holy Spirit is that part of the Godhead which is most identified with the power in God and yet he's the one that brings attention to himself the very least. See, what does the Holy Spirit do? In his power, he points people to Christ who in turn points to the Father. So there's this incredible dynamic of who these three personhoods are and some unique aspects of them. And like I say, if one of them were to simply disappear, what would it be? What would he be? Would he even be God anymore? Really? I mean, yes, because theologically they're all in one, but then there wouldn't be one of the three. And so there'd be a third that was missing. And Let's take it even further. What if two members of the Godhead simply weren't? You see... Here's a key thing to remember about God. It's not like God was alone before there was a creation. It's not like he was all alone and bored and lonely. (laughs) And so he was like, well, I guess I'll make all of creation so that I can be like with the angels and be with people and stuff like that. See, he wasn't ever alone. He's been eternally three in one. He's been eternally social, as we say. Which is to say, when the scriptures say God is love, it's not making an abstract statement. It's not saying God loves. It's saying God is love in a concrete way because it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in love with one another manifesting that love and in that love becoming utterly, completely, totally one. So when God makes us... do my clicker? When God makes us... Um, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature. God created human beings, he created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. Now, it does mean more than just social to be made in his image, but do look at this last phrase and understand how critical, how foundational, how fundamental it is that God is social. He created them male and female. That's not really how we think of it, is it? When we think of God creating everything in the first seven days, we think he created Adam. And it was like later on when he created Eve. And while timeline that's true, the truth is is right here what God is saying. By the way, us, triune God, saying let us make man in our image male and female. Remember the first thing that he says? We've been looking at it quite a lot lately. It is not good for the man to be alone. And so what he does is is that he gives him a helper But this was in his mind all along because he was making a being that was in his image, which in large measure means connected. So it's it's the man, it's the woman, it's God, which means it's triune, right? But it's much more than just that because the triune nature, the triune aspect of our creation is not just male to female. It's also same gender to same... It's me, the other and God that makes us be able to be one. Because always remember, in the garden, what happened was, we made a fundamental decision. We were one with each other, we were one with God, and we made a decision to separate ourselves from God. And in that separation, do you remember Cain and Abel, the first two kids, one of them killed the other one. Separation. Separation from God led to separation here, led to separation here, led to separation here. And to this day, we still have wars and rumors of wars, and we have all of this stuff going on where there's all this separation that goes on in the world. That's the fingerprint of not having God in your life. God's fingerprint is always bringing together. Satan's fingerprint is always separating. Now there is, anyway, take that in the generalize. There is an instance where God will actually separate when he's trying to separate wheat from chaff. That'd be the one time where he's separating. But again, there's still a oneness in there that we're going to get to really deeply. And so here's the point, see. When Jesus comes back again, understand the purpose of his coming was to restore oneness. This is his last prayer. This is the one that he meant to be ringing in our ear. This is the one where he's saying, after you've seen everything I've done and everything that I'm going to do, I want to make clear to you what it is that I'm actually doing. What the point was. And here was the point. I pray that they will all be one. Just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, not just with, but in a whole other dimension of oneness. May they be in us and in one another. And I want you to see something here. See, we think the most intimate possible relationship is husband and wife because of the sexual aspect of it, frankly. There's such an intimacy that comes right there that there simply is nothing like it in the world. And that's true. There isn't anything like it in the world. But I'll tell you something that is just as intense. Tell me in there, is that just talking about husbands and wives getting together and being one? It's talking about all of us being one. Being one how? Like being friends with each other, but really I'm more intimate with... No, he's saying all of us being truly, massively, trinitarianly. He's saying all of us being the same kind of oneness that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share. This is what God's going for. This is the whole point. Today, we're going to take a huge step to actually becoming that oneness. I'm telling you, there's this really simple little thing that God has done That makes us one in a way that is every bit as intimate as the most intimate of marriages. In a different way, of course. But just as fundamentally, foundationally deep. I'm telling you, this is a really interesting one. So, all right. Marina Martin is going to be praying for us. And Marina is phenomenal. Amongst all the other things that she does and works and everything else. Oh, this is Peace of Jerusalem Day. Okay, well, Marina, you got it, okay? Go ahead and stand up if you're going to do the prayer for the peace of Jerusalem. This is something that we do every year. This is a day that's set aside. God says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so, go ahead, Marina.
1: Okay, um, in Psalm 122, 6 through 9, says um, that we need to pray for um, the peace of Jerusalem. Actually, it's David praying. praying this prayer. Um, so, Lord, we just pray for uh, justice, prosperity, protection, and peace over Jerusalem, Lord. We pray that you uh, just reign in that place, Lord, and that your will be done, God, um, as it is in heaven, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that as um, everything that's going on and uh, you are, that you are in control of that place, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you protect their walls, their borders, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we also, um, I be led to be prayed, and just like in um, Philippians two that 2, says that we need to be in the same mind, uh, maintaining the same love, uniting spirit, and for one purpose, for the same purpose, Lord. That's why I pray for this church, Lord, and I believe that that's why you're saying to us, uh, we just pray, Lord, that we uh, that our, our hearts are open to hear where you have to say, Lord. That our eyes are open to see what you're trying to show us, Lord. And as, uh, as you uh, speak through us, through uh, Pastor Kurt, Lord, that we are able to receive it. I pray, Lord, that he speaks your words. Uh, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you in this place. In the name of Jesus.
0: Amen. Yeah. Thank you. That's a really important thing on the prayer for the peace. I'm sorry. I, 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 uh, anyway. All right. We're in our series, and this is called Simple. And the thing that I'm loving about this series is, is that what we're doing is we're looking at the most critical critical aspects of our walk, things that we think are difficult, you know, uh, small groups and serving and outreach. I mean, these seem like very difficult things when we think about them. They kind of frighten us and there's a lot of, eh, about it and everything else. What we've been doing is we've been looking at them and seeing how truly simple they actually are. Moreover, we have been not just talking about it, but we've been doing something to experience them. And I just have to tell you, I think God's doing something in this. He's trying to teach me something about how he wants to do church. And I'd ask for your prayers. Because I think there's something in not just being hearers of the word, but doers. And actually letting people taste of the things that he's talking about prophetically from the pulpit. That is going to take us to another place. I feel like he's doing something that is very significant. So please pray for me on this. I've really been loving this series. But let me come back for now to the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm a person that has had a lot of friends throughout my life. Nobody who would know me would ever say that I was ever alone. Okay, I've just had a lot of friends. I'm gregarious, I'm extroverted, I just, you know, I like people and people like me for the most part. I mean, I can make people mad and stuff, but you know. Uh, But the bottom line is, is that I have always had a lot of friends and it wasn't until I was literally preparing this sermon that all of a sudden the Lord pointed out to me how really alone I was for a lot of years and how much it cost me i'm going to take this is a different kind of a sermon i'm going to take a little bit of time to tell my story as opposed to going through a bunch of scriptures like we would normally do and if you're visiting uh... you know we do things differently every once in a while and I, i just want i think that there's a story in here that i want you to hear and it goes something like this i'm a guy guys have relationships differently than women do right? I mean, they just do. So I'm a guy. When I was in Thermopolis, Wyoming, a town of 3,000 people, we had a corner lot and then an alley, you know, back when you used to have alleys, remember that? So we had a corner lot and an alley, and then my best friend lived right across the street on the other side of the alley. So he was literally two houses away, and there was a basketball court in between, so we just sit and meet there and hang out all day, and, and we just spent all kinds of time together. His name was Steve Bassey. And Steve Bassey and I were very, very good friends, and we could talk about stuff and do like what you do when you're boys and all that kind of stuff, and I had a very, very close friend. I had others too. Tony Chrysler was a great friend of mine. You'll hear about him in a second. But bottom line, Steve Bassey and I were really close. Now, at ninth grade, my dad gets a job in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where I come from a town of 3,000. We're moving to a town where the high school is 1,200. It's only 50,000 as a town, so, you know, but still, the high school was 1,200, so it's like one-third the size of the entire town from which I came. Now, I can tell you what I did not do. I did not get there in the ninth grade and was so pining for my friend Steve Bassey because I felt so alone or so in need or whatever that I would call up Steve every night right before I went to bed, and he and I would chat about our day. I did not talk to him about how somebody was kind of mean to me and it was not very fun and, and you know, what that person wore and how stupid they are that they would wear that. And, and I did not talk about the things that, it's obvious, you know, I, we did not share life after I moved away. I'm a guy. When I moved, I moved on, right? And I mean, I didn't, that was not the heartless thing. He never called me either. It's not like he was pining for me, Okay. You know, I come from Wyoming. You know, people carry guns in Wyoming and they know how to use them. You know, you just don't do that kind of a thing. And we didn't do that. And I get with Facebook and stuff, this has all changed a little bit. But I want you to get the principle. Because there's something in here that God's doing. Now, I moved down to, to... to Cheyenne, and sure enough, you know what I mean, I developed friendships there, and Kurt Peth, and Greg Fetter, and Joe Martellero, and Dave Nelson, these are guys, I still remember their name, I still remember everything about it, I and mean, we spent life together, every lunch we'd go out to lunch together, and, and you know, after, and you know, school, get out at 3 o'clock, and we'd be together until, you know, we'd eat dinner together most a lot of times too, didn't even bother to go home, so we were friends, really close, personal friends, we could share things with each other, and so on. But at some point in life, after high school, uh, I, I, I did a short stint at the UW, the real UW, University of Wyoming, OK? <laughs> and, and I spent a short stint at University of Wyoming. And that's where all my friends were, because it's 45 minutes away. And it was just like an extension of high school. And we were all still friends and so on. But at some point in time, I moved to Arizona. Now, why did I move to Arizona? Well, you did hear me say that I was from Wyoming, right? OK? I moved to Arizona because Wyoming. Wyoming is this unusual state. God took all the beauty that he normally puts in an entire state and distributes somewhat evenly. In Wyoming, God took all of that beauty and he scrunched it up into one corner that is world famous in its beauty. Yellowstone National Park and the Grand Tetons. It's world famous, it's so beautiful, and that left the rest of the state what would, what would be charitably called windblown. Okay, I'm literally not kidding you. The, the, the Rocky Mountains, if you look at the earth as it spins through and as the air comes through, it, that's the cut where it goes through. And I'm telling you, there's no trees on the wind side of a mountain. Nothing can grow. It is blowing all the time. 7-Elevens lock one of their doors because if they, somebody accidentally opened both doors at the same time, there'd be a tsunami inside the 7-Eleven. It would empty them. I literally hadn't lived there for a couple of years, forgot about this, was in uh, uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming, right down I-80, where this wind just blows all the time. I I forgot about it. I opened my door. The wind ripped the door out of my hand and sprung the door open, where I couldn't even close it. Broke the door. In in Wyoming, I'm sorry this is a little bit crude, but you just, you know, you got to get it. In Wyoming, what we say is, the wind doesn't blow, it sucks. (laughs) all the time. Now, so I went to Arizona because it was different than that. Arizona's cool. Arizona's sunny. Arizona's nice. You can play golf all the time. You play tennis. You can do anything you want to do. Arizona's cool, right? Now, when I get to Arizona, A lot of my friends from Wyoming had figured out the two-way superhighway, you know what I mean, between, they still kind of had connections to Wyoming, but they were spending a lot of time in Arizona. So I actually didn't make a lot of Arizona friends, because I still had this sufficiently large network of Wyoming friends, but at some point in time, I did actually move from Arizona. Where did I go after Arizona? I can't even remember now. Oh, we went, uh, Julie and I, I met Julie, so there you go. Okay? And and then Julie and I, when Julie and I got together, that was the end of me ever being quote unquote alone. But actually, that's not true. And I'll describe that in just a second. But I, I just want to just take a minute on this. See, when I then got together with Julie and we moved, you know, it, it wasn't like, you know, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have some way to keep in touch that was sort of casual and superficial. We had, you know, you just kind of keep track of them. I just didn't call my old friends. I, you know, I'd moved again, and I'd moved on, and they weren't calling me, and we loved each other. We we would just, you know, it wasn't like we didn't like each other, and it was an iffy friendship. We were very, very close friends, but you get the point. I'm a guy, and when guys move, they move on. They just move to the next thing. Now, that's completely different than how women are, because here's how women are. Julie has a BFF. A girl that she grew up with when she was young. She moved out of Iowa when she was 17 years old. And to this day, this girl is her BFF. And the girl is Cindy Freemeyer. Now, I want to say, you have to be BFFs with somebody if you're willing to wear outfits like that together. (laughs) Okay? This connects you for life. Okay? If for no other reason than, you know, you wore that. And there's, you can't tell it, but you can kind of see it behind there. That's actually wings. They actually had little wings on the back because they were bees because the football team had to do with bees somehow. And so they were like a cheer squad, you know, with bees stuff, you know, it's just, all right. So Julie, Julie is still BFFs with Cynthia. Still, you know, I mean, she moved away. It's been 40 years since we've, they lived in the same zip code, even in the same state, even the same time zone. You know what I mean? And bottom line is, is that she's always been BFF to the point that I will actually sometimes see Julie with really her best friends here. And she's got some really, really die-for friends here. And then she'll talk about her best friend Cynthia. And I, whenever she says that, it always goes to me like, that's kind of rude to say. I mean, that's kind of offensive to the people that are here. And But as a guy, see, I think that. And if I go to the girls, and I, and I like I've done it a couple of times, and then I learned not to do that anymore, but I, what I did was, is while she was, while she, she'd say that, and I'd say, Julie, that's kind of rude, you know, her best friend. What about these guys? And all of the girls just look at me like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> you know? Of course, Cynthia's her best friend. We get that. There's no issue. There's no competition here. We're her best friends here. But you know, this is the one for the whole of life. You know what I mean? And we're, the, we're for the rest of her life. But this has been the one that's been there since the beginning. See what I mean? In fact, let me show you how strong this is. Some people grew up in the same town their whole life. Like a lot of people from Seattle just lived here your whole life. So you've got friends that are part of your, when you get married, they're still part of your relationship that you've had your whole life as guys. But if you are a guy and you moved out of where you live and you are now married to someone who also moved out of where they live, I can tell you with about 99.999% certainty who one of your very best friends is as a guy the husband of your wife's BFF. Isn't that right? Because they're still connected. They're still talking. They're still sharing. You're still getting together with them. And you're you're either going to be friends with the guy or you're not going to be friends. And not going to be friends isn't fun because the girls are still getting together. So you figure out what you like about them and you start liking them and you have a good time with them and then you actually want to get together, the four of you, right? Now that's true. And the reverse doesn't really happen that way. Again, if you lived in the same town, yeah, I got you do. But it doesn't really work the other way. I'm not saying never, but it's pretty unusual that your wife should end up being really good friends with the wife of the guy that, you know, you guys were like best buds in third grade. That just doesn't happen with guys. So you see, here's why this is important. I want to present myself as an experiment. <laughs> Anybody who knows me will know that that's all too true. Okay, I'm a work in progress, and some wish the progress was faster, but, you know, bottom line, I'm a work in progress. But I want to present that God has done something in my life. If you were trying to figure out, is there a particular dimension of life that makes people one? And in order to do so, you had to screen out the other possible variables, you know what I mean? So that you could, with reliability, you could say, that one variable is the reason why something happened i want to propose to you that this really rich full life that i've led has every variable in it and and i could go in great detail on this with you but i'll I'll spare you some of that but i just want to show you though each one of those variables was actually isolated at a point in my life to where that was really the only variable that was in play And then you can see what the results were from that variable relative to other variables that were also very isolated at a particular moment. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Okay? All right. There were friends that I had before I was saved. I got saved when I was almost 20 years old. I was a few few months shy. I was 19 years old. I want to say something. In this culture right now, to be 19 is still to be basically in high school. I was two and a half to three years out of high school and out of my parents' home and out of every place that was any place comfortable to me. And I had already traveled the entire country. I'd lived in several states by then. i traveled overseas quite a bit. By the time I was 19, just, and I'm not doing anything other than just trying to communicate, I really seriously had lived as much life as a lot of people live, not until they're 30 or more. I just had done a lot of things. I had money, and I could travel, and I did, and I just did a lot, a lot, a lot of things. And I was out early of my household and all this kind of stuff. And the bottom line was, by the time I was 19, it was a little bit more like saying I got saved at 26 in terms of what life experience was. Okay? Now, I had friends, as I've been saying, before that time that I was saved. I had friends in Thermopolis. I had friends in Cheyenne. And then I had friends in Phoenix, and then I met Julie, and in Vale, at the very beginning of our relationship, Julie and I, I got saved through a stupid little prayer that I prayed, and I found out that God actually existed, which was a huge surprise to me, because I really seriously had no belief that he did In fact, I argued, if any, I didn't even care to argue with him, I cared that little about it. But if anybody ever brought it up, I thought they were incredibly stupid, and that this was just totally wrong, and what, didn't they, what, what made them to need that crutch, and that's how I thought about it. So the bottom line was I really did have a lengthy period of time where I was young enough and old enough. You know, college is really where most people make some of their best long-term friends. Because that's a time when you're out of the house and you got a lot of time on your hands, right? I mean, you know, no matter what else is going on, classes just don't take that long. And some people take it in a way where it really doesn't take very long, (laughs) you know? And so those people that you meet in college typically become, you know, you're living with somebody for the first time and, you know, not every time you're first roommate, but, you know, there's just relationships that are made in college which tends to be for a lot of people amongst the very strongest that they'll ever make. So I had that. I, had, I wasn't all the way through college yet. I'd done a little bit of it and I, I just thought this is stupid. I really was learning nothing and I was getting straight A's and I just thought I, this is a waste of time. I can go have fun. And so I, I took a break and I was living and doing all this kind of stuff. And I want to say something now. In all the friends that I knew, that I can still tell you their names and everything else, but watch this. The good friends, in all those friends, I can't tell you where anyone but one of them lives right now. Only one. And the only reason I can tell you where Kurt Peth lives is because his family had a business in Cheyenne. It was actually in Denver, but they lived in Cheyenne. And I'm confident that he has not moved from Cheyenne because of the business. There's only one other guy that I... I knew where he lived for a little while and that was Tony Chrysler. Remember the guy from Thermopolis that was like down in third and sixth grade and all this. And, and in sixth grade, I actually did something with Tony Chrysler where I felt bad about something. I talked him into doing something and, and giving me something that was precious to him and it wasn't to me. It was a St. Christopher medal and I didn't care about God, but you know, it, it was it was important to him, but I thought it was cool. And so I, I asked him to give it to me and I kind of put our friendship on the line in a way I didn't realize I was doing at the time because I can, you know, Anyway, could I not go into how manipulative I can be without knowing it? I, my, it's never my heart, okay? But, you know, and I think I'm not that way anymore, but I'm sure there's people that would say, uh-huh, or nuh-uh, okay? But anyway, the point is, I, I, you know, he gave me, and it always bothered me that I'd done that, particularly when I came to God and I realized that was a religious thing to him. That was important in God to him, and it bothered me. So I actually, about 10 years ago, which would have been like, you know, 30 years from when we had to ever talk to each other again, I, I called him up. I found him, and he was in South Dakota because he didn't apparently get the memo about the fact that Arizona was cool. You know, and South Dakota was the same as Wyoming. So what the heck are you doing there? You know, totally lateral move, literally, and not a good uptick. So, but the bottom line, I called him up on the phone, and I said, I said, Tony, I, I you know, and I, when I first called him, I want you to know I hadn't talked to him in say 35 years, something like that, and and you know his. First reaction was really off-putting to me because I'd been thinking about this and praying about it. And I thought it was kind of stupid to do, but I thought, ah, you know, whatever, and, you know. And, and so I called him up. And seriously, it took me like two or three minutes to convince him that I wasn't trying to sell him some. <laughs> you know, like somebody had found. And I, if you sell stuff, I love it. And no, don't worry about. It, call me fine. But but the bottom line is, is it, he just was like really wary of why the heck is this guy calling me after 35 years? And then I explained to him about the Saint Christopher medal. And you know what his response was? He was. I think it would have been better if I'd have been trying to sell him something. Because <laughs> his response was, I don't even remember that, and this is so weird that you're calling me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm sure it's the last time I've talked to him, and I'm sure he's like, what the hell is wrong with him that he'd be calling me, you know, 35 years later about something I don't even remember? What's, you know, this is, he must be, there must be something wrong with him. <laughs> you know, so there goes one more friend. All right. But that's what I'm telling you. See, I can't tell you where they live. Okay, now there's a variable in there, right? There's a variable of age, of not knowing God. But there's a, there's a couple of variables in there that are really prominent, and I can't tell you where they live. Now, now friends that I had after were saved, but that were not Christians. And here's a, this is a stunning little moment here to share, because, wow, I never saw this before, and I think it'll just shock everybody who goes to church here. I became a Christian, went back to college. College is where you make friends, and boy, we made just terrific friends. I mean, just really great people. But I went to a college where I'm positive that I was the token Christian in the school. Uh, you, You can be liberal and Christian, uh, despite what some people think about that, you can actually be liberal and still love Jesus. But the bottom line is, this was such a liberal intellectual school that to be Christian was totally stupid and I was completely the token Christian in the school. And I had no problem letting people know about it because I understood where they were coming from. That's where I was coming from before. But, and, I, and we had these friends and I prayed for them and loved on them and everything else. Now, I also went, I started going to church because I thought, well, if I become a Christian, I guess you go to church. I, I, a Christian never brought me, and I didn't come to church, I didn't come to Christ because of church, and I didn't know anything about church, I'd been into it one time before to watch my girlfriend play guitar, and we sat up and sat down, and sat, sat up, sat down, stood up, sat down a bunch of times, and I went, this is really dumb, <laughs> you know, and I really like what we did liturgically the other day, so, you know, and I'm cool with standing up and sitting down, but the bottom line is, is that it just wasn't, you know, uh, I want to say there was a difference. Well, I'm at, this ch- I'm at this church, and I don't know if there was even people our age. Now, we weren't trying to find anybody. We already had social circle, and they were all not Christians. But but I went to a church for three years while I was finishing my undergraduate degree. I went to church for three years, and I never met a person in that church. Never went to lunch. Never Never knew the name. Nothing. But it gets worse. We then moved to Denver, Colorado, I went to a big church, Calvary Temple, a couple thousand people, really famous church. And, and I knew some people in the church because we knew them in other social circles. But in four years at that church, we never met anybody. Not one couple did we ever make... I never knew them, I, we never, I never learned a name, I didn't do anything. Now we weren't serving, we weren't in small groups, they didn't have small groups back then. We weren't, we weren't doing anything in the church, we were just coming and tithing, and I'm sure they were happy with that. But the bottom line is, we were not at all part of the community, and then I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's awesome, and we'll talk about it some other time, but bottom line is, then we start going to happy church, because after all, I mean, if you're going to become charismatic, where would you go but happy church? Okay, come on, you know, it's perfect. So we started going to happy church, and I went there for three years. And I actually started going to classes, not Bible studies, not home groups. But I actually started going to classes and stuff like that because I really wanted to learn because this thing had really turned on to a new gear for me. And so I was going to all these classes and still, now, understand, it has been 10 years now that I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm a very faithful church churchgoer. I always have been because I came up without it. And I just know how important it is. I'm telling you, I can't get through a week without it. And I'm not talking about as a pastor. I'm talking about way before I was a pastor. It never occurred to me that I could get through a week without church. I'm not saying I didn't have to do it once or twice, but I just, wherever I was, I went to church because there was something that happened in me. I could feel it, and it made a difference in me. And the bottom line was, 10 years of going to three different churches, two of which were large and you would think good at what they do, and never made one friend from a church not one. Now, it wasn't their fault. I wasn't serving. I wasn't in what they were offering. I did some classes, but that was it. So it wasn't like I was doing, and I didn't need to meet anybody because our friendships, if anybody, people would have said, you have too many friends. You know, Julie, come on, right? And me too. So there was lots of friends, but, but so we weren't looking for anything in church, but still you'd think something would happen in 10 years. Now, we made a lot of friends during that time and had a lot of friends. But again, only a few of them are Christian. Uh, maybe one or two were actually Christian before we met them. Several, in this period of time now, it's three years after I've become a Christian, now we're starting to bring a lot of people to Christ. So we actually did end up with several people that knew Christ during that time, but it was because we brought them to the Lord. So let me take those out for a second and put them in the next category. But let me tell you what the, what the marker is here. Of those people, I can tell you where most of them live, but we don't talk. The people I knew in college, the people I knew in Denver. I can tell you where they live, and there's there's some sort of whatever, but it's not like I call them up. And if I called them up on the phone, the conversation would be like, wow, long time, no talk. What are you doing? Who are you now? It would be that kind of awkward Tony Chrysler-ish type conversation a little bit, right? You know, like, you know, just... You know, you know, there would, I mean, and I understand something. We're talking people we were very close to. So I'm not saying it'd be weird. I'm just saying it'd be one of those conversations where you haven't talked to somebody in a long time and you're just kind of feeling each other out again and trying to get and everything else, right? Okay, you got it? So that's the second section. Now, I'm in my 30s, and 30s are a time when it's kind of hard to make really deep friends. Why? Because you have kids usually because you have a job. I also had a career I was pursuing outside of the job that I was doing to make a living. Julie was working. We were incredibly busy, everything else. But the bottom line is then there came a third phase of my life, a third phase of this experiment, where we had friends that were Christians. And what I mean by that is, is initially we went over to the big church, church on the way. We lived in Venice, California. We drove over the 405 into the valley, and we went to church at the way with Jack Hayford. And that's where I wanted to go to church. And we were there for about three years. And then I just, it just wasn't where we were supposed to be anymore. And we knew that in the Lord. And we looked locally. And we found a little church. And we actually started to get to know some people. And and because it was smaller, it had some needs and so on, and I, you know, I was of some value at that point in time, I started actually serving a little bit. When I started serving, I started getting to know people. And then I realized, wow, small groups are kind of becoming a big deal, and we should start small groups. So I started the small groups program at the church, and, and you know, we, I got into a small group, and we talked about small groups last week, and I'm telling you, out of those small groups, we made friends that, you know, are still very, very, very much friends to, for us today. Now, not all of them, but but the small group thing that we talked about last week was incredible, but there was another variable, and the variable was, I not only know where each one of those people live, I talk to them often, and to this day, any of us would do anything for any of us at any time for any reason. Literally, I want to show you how strong this is. This is Guy and Darcy Morris who are sitting right back there. This is Guy Morris from that small group. But now, now, our small group, you know, there was more people than just Guy and Darcy and us. But you know, there was a deeper connection in that small group that was made. Something else started to happen. And I fell in love. And I'm not talking about falling in love like, like, like with my wife. But I fell in love with this person. And I'm telling you, I believe the reason why my guy's sitting here right now is there was a tough time going on in their life, and I literally believe that the reason why they're here is because we prayed him up here. Because I he couldn't stand to see my friend going through a hardship, and I thought that something good would happen if we could get him to come up here. And we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and then he got a job with Microsoft and moved up here. And I mean, he's a... He's a He hates the rain and he hates the cold and he loves being on a boat on the ocean and that's all he really wants to do. So I'm telling you, there was a lot of prayers that had to overcome his will, (laughs) okay, and his desire and his choice. But I'm just telling you, see, something, the small group was the catalyst. The small group was the thing, but out of the small group started to come something that started to transcend a relationship the way that we would normally think of a relationship. It started to become oneness. It wasn't just him that was in that small group. It was guy, it was uh, Mike and Debbie McMahon. And this is the girl who I said is, I'll be there two weeks for the memorial and doing the eulogy and really didn't want to do it because I don't think I'll be able to get through it. And, and that this was another, you know, I mean, these are the kind of friends that when I heard that she had died, You can't breathe. (laughs) This isn't okay. This isn't... (laughs) Uh, You know, life goes on, but man, is it poor all of a sudden. (laughs) Right? There's a lot of people sitting here right now in this room that we've gotten to this place with you. You know, there's just something and i wanted to put some pictures up and i said oh man i just offend somebody because you know blah 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 but the bottom line is is, is there's a variable here what's the variable well follow that down it's number 3 where we started getting into community in a way that God wanted. In a way that God had something more than friendship. If I had more time, I could go through this and just just isolate these variables in a way that you would see. The only variable was God. These other relationships were very close, but they never got to a transcendent place. And I want to say Jesus prayed, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us. I prayed. He prayed that, but here's the point that I want to make right now. He didn't just pray it. This is what he's doing. He didn't just pray it. He said, I'm going to pray it because I want to tell you what I'm going to be doing. And what I'm going to be doing is making you guys one. I'm going to be doing a work inside of you. I'm going to make you one. It's the people that I've become one with that are the people that have transcended distance, time, everything else. If we happen to leave here for some reason and go be missionaries in some far off land, there will be people here. The, the distance will not matter. And when I call you up on the phone, it will not be, how are you doing? That'll be the first three or four minutes of it. But we'll want to get right down to the depths of it. We'll want to get right down to where we live, to where we're still connected umbilically, to where we're still one, to where, you know, it'll be like, what's going on? Okay, that's great. Now we got the details all the way. How are you doing? What's going on? And what's God doing? You know what I mean? It'll be one. And it'll be a conversation that'll be right smack dab back at where we were the entire time before. Now this is what God is trying to do. Now, here's what God showed me. It's only in number three, I'm going to go backwards so if I mess it up, it's only in number three where I was really letting the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, do what they wanted to do in my life. And here's what I want to say. I can go right back to number one and I can tell you the biggest mistakes I ever made in my life were at number one phase. And it wasn't just because I was young, it was because I was alone. I was actually on my own. And if you talk to my parents, talk to my family, talk to my friends, they would say the same thing. And it wasn't that we weren't very close. It, there's just an isolation People that grow up in Christ don't understand what this is. People that didn't grow up in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. If you came when you were later, you know that there's an, there's a, an aloneness because of a lack of the Holy Spirit in your life that is alone. And the fact is, these are the worst decisions I made in my life, followed only by phase two, <laughs> where I was a Christian, but I was still alone. And I'm not talking about being alone. I had Julie. Julie. I mean, I've got the greatest person in the whole world, and I could talk to her. I could talk to her. But do you understand that even with your spouse, there's some things, and there's a bigger scope, and there's another thing that God wants to do that's different than what that thing is? And it was that that wasn't happening in my life. And the next biggest mistakes I made in my life were right there. And I'm still capable of making whoppers of mistakes, but i got to tell you something. It was the decision to come here that Mike and Debbie McMahon were in Jackson Hole with us, and our season had ended in Jackson Hole, and we had churches, we'd just begun our search, and we already had churches, 800 people more, very stable financially, no debt, all kinds of stuff, everything else, and and I just am prone to take the more difficult thing, but frankly, I'd been doing five churches at one time, I was so stinking tired at that point, all I wanted to do was go someplace easy. And Jim Hayford calls me out here, and we sit on that little cement thing outside of that building over there, and God, I hated that building. And, you know, I don't hate it anymore, but I think I do. I don't know what it is anymore. You know, God does great things with you, and you love what you hated, you know? But, but still, you know, I knew that he was calling us there, and it was so hard on us. Not because of anybody here. We didn't know you. But it was just like, oh my God, we're coming to a place with 35 people or 40 people and more debt than more literally more debt service than tithe and and oh my gosh. And literally we're sitting in Jackson, we're trying to make the decision because in God we felt like He told us to come, but just see I was no longer doing life alone. So I went to my best friends. I went to and guy and darcy i love you but you weren't there at that point but mike and debbie are sitting there and we did something and and mike god bless him here's what he said if you know mike this is perfect mike mike said you know what we've sat here and we've prayed i literally remember right where we were in the car praying and mike said we've just prayed about this quite a bit i'm going to tell you i think you're supposed to take that one and it's the harder one yet again kurt and he said you know what those things are hard and they're they're hard they're just hard and he said here's the deal we're making a deal with god right now should for some reason that one not work out the next time that you get a decision like this you just get to take the easy one you don't have to ask god anything (laughs) (laughs) we were not meant to live life alone we were meant to live life in community we were meant to live life not just in small group which is so important please get in one but out of those small groups will come people, and out of places of service will come people that you will somehow be connected to in a way that God intends to connect to you. And it's for a reason for them and for you that goes way beyond anything that you could have come up with in your own. They're not necessarily even the people that you would have chosen to be friends with. But God will make a connection with you. And God will do something to where you become one, and you'll think those are the most amazing people ever i want this whole church to experience that and i want to show you how really simple it is because we're actually going to do it right now and what i'm asking you to do is if you're in this room right now and you're in a threefold and a lot of people are i'm asking you to look around and find who your threefold is And i'm going to ask you here in two seconds to get up and we're gonna take about ten minutes and pray but i'm asking you to go to your threefold and if you're if you're freaking out right now hang in there with me i got something good for you so don't worry But if you're in a threefold already, I want you to go to your threefold. And if you're in more than one threefold, you want to know how great threefolds are? threefold is three or four people of the same gender getting together and doing what I'm talking about here. Going to the deeper place that is as intimate as it is with your spouse. It is as fundamental and as deep and as rich and as full as that is. And and my own threefold isn't quite there yet. But man, have we had some stuff happening lately as we've started we were over the phone and it didn't seem and now we're starting to get together a bit more and all of a sudden some stuff has started happening in our threefold and I feel this thing starting to take place. I feel God literally sinewing us together. So what I'm asking you to do is is to go to and and, and Connect with your threefold right now. If you're a threefold, and if you're, here's the thing. If you're in more than one threefold, and here's the biggest proof of the value of threefolds. When we first announced threefolds in the church 12 years ago or so, here's the truth. Guys were so mad at me because <laughs> they're guys, and they so didn't want to be in this kind of a deal. And now many of those guys, probably as much as half of those guys are in more than one threefold because of the value that's come out of them. So if you're one of those guys that has a conflict because you're in more than one threefold, just the first one that you meet, that's the one that you're going to go to, okay? The other ones will not take offense at that, okay? You're not picking one over the other. But I want you to go. Now, if you're not in a threefold, give it a moment. We're going to kind of stand up and shuffle. Please don't leave. We're actually going to end the service. I've got service. I've got just a two-minute more thing to do. But what I want you to do is, if you're not in a threefold with somebody, I just want you to turn and don't think age. Actually, some of our very best threefolds are intergenerational. There's a purpose and a plan in that thing. We've been talking about it lately. So don't think of it f- just friends, who you'd like to be a friend with. Turn to somebody, and here's what I want you to do. Just experience, taste a little bit of what a 3 can be. Because what I want you to do is I want you to just, to the degree that you can share, I'm not asking you to spill your deepest, darkest secret, but to the degree that you can share something that's important to you. I'm asking you to, to, with just three other people, if there's four people, that's too many. Well, I'll, I'll let you have four. But you can't go to five. Okay, and try and keep it at three. Maybe even two is fine. Because you'll get enough, and it'll give you a little more time to talk and pray. But I want you to talk to each other, and then I want you to pray with each other. Pray for each other. See what I mean? If try and go to two. I think it'll actually work a little better. So you catch, what catch my drift, And but if you want to do three, it's okay. Now, I know, I know there's introverts here and you're freaking out and everything else, but I'm asking for trust at this moment because I'm telling you, I'm asking you to go in there, just like we said at the tithe, expecting God to do something, expecting you to taste. It's not the fullness of a threefold, but it'll be a moment. Please don't do this. If you're sitting next to your spouse, don't turn just to your spouse, just you and them. That You're already a fold, Right? I'm talking about going to somebody else, okay, that other. So would you do this, please, for me in music? Could we just get a little background strumming and so on? And just turn to each other. I'm going to call you back in less than 10 minutes. So it's not going to be very long, so don't take too long. But I want you to experience this. Just go and be with somebody.